Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening and welcome to Law Focus. I'm Veronica Mahwadi, your voice of law for the evening right here on VowFM 88.1. Join me as we unpack everything law-related every Tuesday evening from 7pm till 8pm. Human Rights Day is upon us and in fact as a country we have been celebrating Human Rights Month. This is done to remind South Africans about the sacrifices that accompanied the struggle for the attainment of democracy in South Africa. Now Human Rights Day pays homage to all those who lost their lives in the fight for democracy particularly the Sharpeville Massacre which happened on the 21st of March in 1960 when police opened fire on a group of peaceful protesters in Sharpville, a small town in the Val Triangle outside Johannesburg. The group was protesting against the apartheid pass laws and in total 69 unarmed protesters were killed and at least 180 were injured. Now I don't know about you but this sounds awfully familiar. In fact even looking at the images of the Sharpville massacre it reminds me so much of the recent massacre which took place in 2012 that left 34 miners dead and over 70 people seriously injured when police decided to open fire on a crowd of striking mine workers at Marikana in the northwest province. Now, if we look at these dates, I mean, we've got 1960 and 2012. That's more than 50 years of difference. Yet South Africa is still in an environment and a culture where human rights are still an ongoing struggle. Law Focus tonight puts the spotlight on you, on society, to find out whether or not South Africa has a healthy, conducive and functioning human rights culture. Joining us for this conversation is Sharon Ekebaram, an activist from the Lawyers for Human Rights. We'll also be joined by Gashwell Brooks, who is the spokesperson of the South African Human Rights Commission. And lastly, we take a look at the Human Rights Festival, which will be taking place this week. And we chat a little bit to, to Dawn Robinson, the CEO of the Constitutional Hill. But of course, this would not be a conversation without your input. You can send us your voice notes on our WhatsApp line. That's 84 you can also send us a tweet at at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. But of course, before we get into that, it is a time for our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. I'm joined in studio by our Law Focus researcher, Sia Bongamwata, who will be giving us a breakdown of the top legal stories this week. Sia, what do you have for us? Well, we'll start with um, Cheryl Zondi, who will have to retake the stand again in the anticipated Timothy Omotosa trial. This comes after Judge Mandela Makaula recused himself last week because of a conflict of interest. Eastern Cape National Prosecuting Authority spokesperson Tsepondolaza says the judge decided to step down after it was found that his wife runs a guest house where some state witnesses were accommodated. Dolaza adds that a new judge will be appointed to, to deal with the matter, with um, the case starting from scratch, as if it never started at all. The case has been postponed until the July 30, um, while Omotoso remains behind bars. And if we move um, to our next story, the South African Human Rights Commission has found the EFF leader Julius Malema's white slaughter comments that they do not amount to hate speech. This comes after Malema made the comment in November 2016, speaking after the postponement of a court case against him. 
In his speech, he called for all land in South Africa to be returned to black people, adding that the party was not calling for the slaughter of white people, at least for now. Malema's remarks led to FWD Clicks Foundation laying a complainant with the South African Human Rights Commission claiming that the comments amounted to hate speech and incitement of violence against white South Africans. However, the South African Human Rights Commission found that hate speech in this particular case was determined by whether the speech utter was a clear intention to incite harm. And finally, healthcare institutions are disappointed that people living with mental illness will not be allowed to vote in the May 8 national elections. This comes after Parliament recently refused to amend a law preventing people declared to be mentally ill by the High Court and those detained under the Mental Health Act from voting. The South African Federation for Mental Health, which has been lobbying the Independent Electoral Commission to change the law, says the right to vote is an important constitutional entitlement and psychiatric patients should be afforded that right. Meanwhile, Independent Electoral Commission Deputy Chief Electoral Officer Masango Shiburi says they approached Parliament to amend the law, but it was left unchanged. According to statistics, South Africa currently has over 30,000 people who are in mental care institutions. Thank you so much, Sia. I'm actually quite, you know, shocked that most of your legal hotspot stories tonight are sort of reflecting on the conversation tonight around human rights. So, yeah, we want to talk about, we want to open the conversation to, to us young people to talk about our human rights and just to get into detail what they're all about and how do we see if they are being violated? Absolutely. Thank you once again, Sia, for our legal hotspots this week. You are still tuned in to Law Focus on VOW FM 88.1. Let's continue with the show as we find out if South Africa has a positive human rights culture. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week Apartheid came into power at the same time that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was drafted. South Africa was one of the eight countries that refused to sign the declaration because its apartheid policies were in gross violation of the declaration. As with every liberation struggle, it took years of resistance to oppression. And in 1955, the Freedom Charter, which is our forerunner of the Bill of Rights as we know them today was adopted. Now naturally the government at the time was displeased with the charter which they declared to be an act of treason because it had the powerful element of uniting people of different races together in the fight against apartheid and hence 156 people were arrested in December 1956 in connection to the Freedom Charter. But it was not until the 21st of March when the Pan-Africanist Congress led by the late Robert Subukwe called for a peaceful protest against past laws, a protest that turned bloody and changed the course of South Africa's history. The police claimed that they were attacked first, with protesters throwing stones at them. However, this has been refuted as many of the people were shot in the back. It is not known what the exact number of the demonstrators was on that day, but it was these events that alerted the international community to apartheid murders, violence and human 
rights violations. Many people and many nations across the globe began initiating sanctions against South Africa. Now, following the Sharpeville massacre in 1966, the United Nations declared that the 21st of March would be International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Now, speaking to us more about how our past has affected our current culture towards human rights is lawyer and activist Sharon Ekebram from the organization Lawyers for Human Rights. You are from Lawyers for Human Rights. What exactly, you know, do your duties entail and how does your organization promote and foster human rights and the Constitution? Um, Okay, so Lawyers for Human Rights is actually celebrating its 40th year this year that it's been in existence. Wow. And uh, yes, so it's actually um, addressed and worked during the apartheid era looking at forced removals and, and, and a key central element of lawyers for human rights is, yes, protecting and fighting for the basic human rights of, of um, in, in period of apartheid, uh, black people. But, uh, you know, in, in the current era, it's uh, integrally linked to the respect for human dignity. Um, and I think a lot of our work is, is uh, focused on that, whether it's with respect to the extraction industry and environmental rights, or whether it's a labor and exploitation of vulnerable uh, people, uh, you know, doing precarious work. Uh, but the, the biggest um, program that the LHR is currently working on is looking at the issue of refugees and migrants in South Africa and how on a daily basis they, um, the, the indignity with which, whether it's the state through the Department of Home Affairs or whether it's the South Africans um, through our xenophobia um, that, that, that we're infringing on people's basic human rights and human dignity. Let's, let's actually unpack what you know, that actually means. What are human rights? We speak about them with such you know, authority, but what are they? Well, the only the, the, the South Africa is, is governed by one of the most progressive documents, the Constitution in the world. It is lauded all over for you know its its uh, its ethos of respect for human rights and human dignity, as enshrined in the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights was deliberately crafted, um, it, it taking into account our past. And, and uh, what, what the apartheid state uh, using its power uh, and, and, and ensuring um, the rights of a minority of people uh, through keeping the majority of people in, in horrendous conditions of, of exploitation and, and, and racism. And, and, and that's, that's the framing of our constitution, uh, which, which the power of it is that it is transformative. It says, how do we ensure redress for injustices of a past where a tiny minority had an unfair privilege which which resulted in uh, you know the kind of conditions that 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 people lived under and and the system of apartheid and so that that for me is is what the prisms with which we should look at human rights and human dignity it's not just in in the word and the meaning but it is it's deeply rooted in in not just apartheid but of course the the decades and centuries of, of colonization that, that um, results in exploitation and, and, and horrendous conditions that, 
that black people lived under in our country, and in particular, um, how what we would refer to as African uh, people. Hmm. And South Africa is celebrating 25 years of democracy. You know, you just said something that was very powerful. So I want to know, in your opinion, what is the current state, or rather the culture, of our human rights today? You know, for me, this comment needs to be located in an international context, and we cannot have this conversation without uh, being shocked and, and horrified by what happened in New Zealand, by what happened in, in, in countries all over the world where there's othering, and it's, it's based on Islamophobia or it's based on, on xenophobia. Um, we've seen an increasing rise of homophobia on the African continent, and these are all forms of discrimination, and it's discrimination rooted in trampling people's basic human rights and it's prejudice. And I think that we're seeing that increasingly in South Africa. And, and from my experience, we are seeing it uh, in the worrying trend, so this backlash against human rights, this disrespect, growing disrespect for human dignity, predominantly of poor people. In, in our state, our South African state, the so-called democratic state, is, is, is in the same category as the Australians, as represented and epitomized by Donald Trump in, in othering and, and, and scapegoating of, of migrants, foreign nationals, refugees, asylum seekers. Uh, and we see this um, particularly worrying trend as we go towards elections uh, coming up in May this year. And it's, it's of serious concern to, to uh, particularly people struggling for social justice in our, in our country. Hmm. And you say that it's particularly the poor people whose right to dignity is being violated. Yes. And I think... Yes, no, can continue. So so this, again, I think it's important to take into account our history and our past, that the geopolitics of South Africa uh, has resulted in the fact that the face of poverty remains that of black people. And, and for this, I have to make the distinction that it's black African people. It's not Indian, it's not colored. It, 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 it varies in degrees, and it's all linked to the way in which the unfair privilege was used based on the color of your skin to divide people and to allocate resources according to you know, how the apartheid states managed the country based on discrimination of, of the color of your skin. And right at the bottom, as we all know, were black African people, and in particular, black African women. And I think that that remains the case today, 25 years into our democracy, and that is a serious indictment on our, 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 our government, and in particular, a government that is led by what we all um, were inspired by, a liberation movement that got into government. And we, you know, it, it, the, the, the most serious indictment for me is that we remain one of the most unequal societies in the world. And that inequality is still located in, 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 in um, race. And, 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 and that, for me, the Constitution has given this government the power to, uh, to uh, put in place and, and, and uh, use policies to, for redress. So, you know, our, the quality of our health system, the fact that it is predominantly black people that are using the public health sector, and, and, and it's falling apart. And, and instead of 
taking responsibility and, and ensuring that our resources are allocated according to addressing the needs of the most, um, uh, you know, the, the most marginalized, the, the, the people that are living in abject poverty. We are uh, scapegoating migrants and foreign nationals and putting the blame on them, when in fact we, we should be looking at how we are enforcing our policies um, to, to correct these injustices and to ensure that through that we are uh, uh, addressing the issue of human rights and, and human dignity. That's, that's central to me. The economic policy uh, must speak to our policies that we're implementing and, mm. and, and, and locate them in, in our past and, and, and how people were prejudiced and what are we doing for redress. That, that's Absolutely. the key that the government must answer. And, I mean, in your opinion, what are the most basic human rights that every South African should know and every South African should uphold for their sake and, I mean, for the sake of other people too? It's, it's a complex question because, you know, again, you can't um, answer this without looking at our past. To this day, we are suffering the consequences of Bantu education. And so for me, I would say access to quality education is key. I would also say access to quality health care is key. And these were all used and, 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 and the discrimination was based on access to resources and the quality of those resources. So you got inferior education. You didn't have um, investment in, in schools and the quality of education for black people as was done for white people. The quality of education bring uh, allow for people to have analytical skills and and so so those you know it's, it's hard to be one answer we're suffering with um, a massive unemployment crisis people have dignity is integrally linked to work to your ability to be able to get up and have a job to have a choice to have a job and we, we've seen staggering figures of 60 percent of young people are unemployed in our country how can we talk about human rights and dignity if people can't get access and the right to go and choose to, to be employed and have a job. So it's, I think, the central element for me around human rights and human dignity is for the government to make the Bill of Rights a living document. And every right enshrined in that, in our Bill of Rights, economic rights, it must become the priority if we are going to speak meaningfully about human rights and human dignity. Hmm. And uh, you mentioned something that was very interesting, and of course that is the Bill of Rights. Um, I know that there are two very vital documents in our history and for the fight of human justice that basically set up and helped to put the Bill of Rights together, and that was the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. What is that exactly, and what does it entail? The Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Correct. Or the Bill of Rights. The, the, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I mean, if you look at it, last year we celebrated 20 years of this document, of signing onto this document, and, and, it, and it speaks for itself what, what, what it's meant to stand for, the Universal Declaration of Respect for Human Rights. And, and, and as I was pointing out to you, not only for me, the key that, that where we see infringements on a daily basis is how we treat foreign nationals in our country. And foreign nationals happen to be black. Foreign nationals are not white. Um, and, and, and that's a serious indictment of, and, and leads to you know, poor people. The second is South Africans and poverty. And I think that you can't speak about human rights if the majority of people in this country continue to live 
in abject poverty and the conditions that we live under is, is um, you know, informal settlements, no decent homes, no access to proper toilets at school, that you can have someone like Michael Kamate drown in a pit toilet in, 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 in this uh, era of democracy in our country. Absolutely. And then just a final question for you, Sharon. How influential do you think this document is both to South Africa, Africa and the international community at large? Look, my point is that it's of no value if we can't have ways of enforcing it and holding states to account. And I think that that's where it fails. There's not enough in it where we can actually use it as a document, as a tool, to hold our states to account, and, 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 and what we are seeing then is that there's belligerence. We're finding that with the Department of Home Affairs, there's complete intransigence in respecting rulings of courts in our country, whether it's, it's the High Court or whether it's the Constitutional Court. And so we have little recourse when, when, a, when a judgment is handed down and a, a state department uh, refuses to, to respect that. And I think that that's the challenge that we're facing. And for me, the only uh, solution is for um, people, in, in, you know, very people to stand up, get organized, and take a stand. And in our unity and showing solidarity, we, that's the only way of holding our states and governments to account. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sharon. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Human rights are the basic principles and freedoms that we are all entitled to by virtue of simply being a human being. It is meant to recognize the need to give us a single equal status to all human beings. We wanted to know what your thoughts are on whether or not you believe our society respects and upholds your human rights as well as the rights of others. And of course, this is what you had to say. I don't think society um, respects human rights. As a female, I still feel like men feel entitled to how we dress. So if that could change, um, that's when I feel like probably they do respect human rights with regards to the female gender. They do, because uh, there's privacy, there's everything. Like you've greeted me when you've come here. You've respected my privacy, my human rights. It depends on the society, what type of a society it is. Yeah. The society doesn't respect my rights. For instance, if um, I have a right to have a, a healthy environment, just it's very dirty, so it doesn't respect my rights. So that's one of the basic things I can say. No, because there are still people violating our rights. And if... If in Kabeba respects my human rights, the Batsuangata wouldn't be in jail. Yeah, they are in jail because by violating somebody's human rights. To a certain extent, they do. Um, I think the problem comes when we add in uh, cultural values into the vibe. Like, as a woman in general, I am respected, but in certain um, cultural settings, I'm expected to basically accept a level of inferiority for the next man to make them comfortable and because if I don't do that then I'm not a woman in that culture so I feel like it's 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 in it, it depends on context it depends on context but in general I feel like I mean we all know in South Africa compared to other African countries is pretty decent in terms of respecting human rights but I do feel like we have a long way to go and I'll just use a random example like even what you wear as a woman and you know how in taxi ranks women get attacked and violated physically attacked 
by taxi drivers because they don't understand that you have a you have a right to wear what you want. This is how you express yourself. If they're not comfortable with it, they feel it's justified to exert some force on you to assert their dominance in terms of what they think is acceptable. For me, respect human rights. I want to pretend because like la malosa foster avant to guti ba respect amalos ama ama rights but i i feel like if the malos la o be wangeko people like will violate abona la ma rights wa bantu we think you should think i would say it's circumstantial people believe or like tend to respect your human rights uh based on certain things that would benefit them or based on the certain status that you acquire as a person so maybe let's say maybe for instance i'm a vet student people are gonna tend to respect my human rights because i've acquired a certain stage in life where like they feel like yeah they can respect or give me that respect or would say ah nah this person has acquired a certain status People smoke around, whether you're here, sitting here, they'll smoke, nothing matters to them, so as long as they are happy, so uh, they don't respect, even the littering around, see our environment is not healthy, eh? <laughs> because of them not respecting our rights, so <laughs> I think they don't, yeah. I think like if, if it certifies their needs, like they don't care about the next person, it's more of a survival of the future, something along those lines. Like if I benefit from this and when now you don't benefit, like they don't care. It's more of, uh, I think people, they don't understand what are human rights. So for you to respect something, you must have the knowledge of what is, because Mina right now I'm struggling to understand like what is like because you can't fit and suit each and everyone's human rights but some they conflict so i feel like people now they are being caught in a point where they are conflicting themselves to say how should i do it and how should i respect you because what you like is not what i'd like so to someone i'm respecting them to some people i'm not let's say some of us we smoke right so if we if i start smoking it's not a problem to those guys who smoke but to some to a person who doesn't smoke it's a problem so you can see now there's conflict some people they are saying it's fine to some it's so and i can't suit everybody so no because like job activity because i walk so stress so yeah I think the people around me respect my human rights like for example my privacy they respect it I feel like people around me have never like uh, violated my human rights. Uh, whenever I, I feel like uh, I'm not comfortable, or I feel like uh, I've been, I have been like they are violating my rights. I just speak out and tell them the way I feel and the way I express my views. I'm free. I, I don't feel like people around me, and uh, I, I won't have like people around me who violate who violate my rights. So. Well, for me, it's like more like people don't respect each other. That's like the problem that I always see. So like people get too aggressive. They don't respect your opinion. They, it's like you speak up, but then they don't want to acknowledge what your opinions may be. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus.
We look at the current state of our human rights in South Africa. And in fact, we've got quite a lot to talk about. In fact, earlier today at 12 p.m., the lights went out right here in Bromfontein at Fitz University. I mean, of course, we are not the only people without electricity for hours in a day. It has become a norm all across South Africa. And the sad reality is that it's not just about the fact that we don't have electricity, but it's also what has led ESCOM to be in this situation. Corruption, maladministration, mismanagement of public resources, and public funds. They may be a right that states that we have the right to electricity, but there are also other rights in place, such as the right to dignity and security. And maybe if we also look at our schools, for example, you know, there are children who go to school and the core of nature is often a danger to them because of the kinds of toilets that they are forced to go to. And if there are 4,000 schools in our country without proper latrines, then what of our homes? What kind of conditions are people currently living in. And as if Marikana was not enough, there was also life isidimeni, the mass killing of one of the most vulnerable people in our society by our, vo- by our very own state. In fact, the challenges that we face as a country are endless. But there is a commission that is in place to help us navigate through this. Joining us on the line is Gaswell Brooks, the spokesperson of the Human Rights Commission. So you are a Chapter 9 institution as reflected in our Constitution, and of course this is a very important responsibility. Can you just briefly unpack for us what a Chapter 9 institution does, and of course the role of the South African Human Rights Commission? Okay, so Chapter 9 of the Constitution, uh, beginning at Section 181 of the Constitution, establishes numerous bodies, including the Office of the Public Protector, the South African Human Rights Commission, the CCMA, or the Commission for Promote... um, sorry, uh, you know, the, the CCMA is in um, the commission where people deal with the uh, disputes around labor, uh, the Auditor General, the IEC, as well as uh, the CGE, or the Gender Commission, as we call it colloquially. Um, it establishes all of those independent state institutions uh, in support of democracy um, and to make sure that, obviously, our constitutional democracy is uh, protected and, in turn, um, also, um, you know, delivers on its mandate. So the specific mandate of the South African Human Rights Commission is then set up in Section 184 uh, under Chapter 9, which basically states that we are there to protect and promote, um, uh, protect, promote, as well as monitor the attainment of human rights. And, they, and those human rights are in turn found in Chapter 2 of our Constitution, commonly referred to as the Bill of Rights, the most important part for us as private citizens. So, of course, we are celebrating Human Rights Day, and a lot of us cannot help but remember the Sharpeville Massacre. When we look at the pictures and the mass graves, we do remember, you know, a massacre very close to our own hearts, which is, of course, the Marigana Massacre, which is something we should have not had to deal with, uh, considering our new democracy. What, in your opinion, is the current state and the culture uh, of human rights in South Africa right now? Um, it's important to put a place into perspective because obviously we are living within a constitutional democracy and a constitutional democracy through freedom of expression from people being able to assert their rights um, means that we are, that, that where there are infringements on human rights or an impact on human rights is more visible. So in other words, people are more able to express um, their concerns and, and obviously take action in those particular spaces. So I think we can't ever minimize the, the importance of that. But second to that also, uh, it is important for us to understand that it's the responsibility of all uh, to, to protect human rights and to obviously promote
is that um, uh, human rights, or you know, the rights that we have within our constitution, in chapter two of our constitution, are both vertically and horizontally uh, enforceable. Which basically means that people in positions of power, for example, uh, government, business, um, you know, civil society, they have a responsibility to uh, protect and enable our human rights on the one end, and also between us and interpersonally, between person to person, you and your neighbour, you and your partner, you and your children. Uh, that there should also be a respect for human rights in that particular space. So, uh, in other words, it's everyone's responsibility uh, overall to ensure that there is a, a, a protection um, of each other's human rights. Absolutely. And I mean, if we take a look at our headlines in mainstream media or just the conversations that happen, you know, in our communities, we have young children that are dying in particular dreams. We have women in this country who still don't have access to free sanitary towels. Uh, you know, we've got the current, you know, um, power cuts that are happening in our households. We've got people without homes, you know, and we've also got people who are proudly throwing racial slurs, but more so actively promoting hate speech and discrimination. Can we say that these are direct violations of our human rights? The complex issue from the perspective of the South African Human Rights Commission is, of course, mandated to investigate these and to take appropriate action where needed. And uh, some of that appropriate action might also entail going to court, it might be equality court and other courts that we have used in the past. Um, so, you know, on the face of it, it would be difficult to say that these are the blatant uh, human rights violations because it's still part of our legal discourse. It's still things that need to be decided on. Um, and many of these matters are actually in front of the Commission as we speak as forms of, 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 of things that we are busy investigating. But I think in terms of socio-economic rights, and those are typically rights like uh, the right to housing, the right to uh, adequate health care, um, the right to education, um, those rights are progressively realizable. So in as much as, uh, you know, there is an, uh, you know, a right uh, to education that we should realize as soon as possible and that, you know, all accommodations should be made, made uh, that the right to education is delivered on, other rights are rights that are progressively realizable. So subject to, for example, things like budget by government and the capacity of government to actually deliver on those. So in as much as many of those rights are not immediately delivered upon, it is not an innate and immediate um, case whereby we, 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 we can say that it's not, uh, that it's a human rights violation. Mm. And how would one go about reporting a human rights violation with the South African Human Rights Commission? Uh, your best port of call would be our website, www.sahrc.org.za. Um, on the landing page, if you go all the way down, there is a space for you where you can actually lodge a complaint on your own behalf, on behalf of someone else or as an institution. And then under our contacts uh, section, there's also a uh, you know section which outlines the contact details for our various um, provincial offices throughout the country, our nine provincial offices, including the national head office, um, and with all the various contact details that you would require. And, of course, you would be able to actually go through to those offices and you would be able to then lodge a complaint there in person. Perfect. And, I mean, just a final question for you, Mr. Brooks. I mean, 25 years later into our democracy and the very examples that I gave you is still what I can say many black people in this country are still dealing with. Where are we lacking in regards to transformation and the implementation of human rights in this country? 
the constitution itself is a piece of paper if we as society and all fronts of society, including civil society, government, business, faith-based organizations, uh, do not do anything to protect and to implement those particular rights. Um, then unfortunately what ends up happening is that those rights are merely pieces, uh, you know, uh, on a piece of paper, the scribblings on pieces of paper that in them, uh, themselves do not have life. Uh, we give life to the rights contained in the Constitution. It can come in all of us uh, into the 25 years um, and beyond that we are delivering on those rights. So it is up to government to ensure that the rights aren't only respected, but that service delivery that is in, in, intrinsically linked back to human rights is obviously uh, delivered on and that people are, actually do feel and know uh, that their rights are respected and delivered upon. And this could be, you know, your opinion, but what do you say to, you know, comments where people say that, you know what, human rights serve no purpose and they are literally only there on the paper? Human rights is what enables you and I to have this conversation openly and freely uh, because we have the right to freedom of expression. Human rights also then in turn gives us the opportunity to make uh, decisions when we are able to vote uh, on the 8th of May, which is less than two months away. Human rights also then ensures that there is equality between you guys. So even though you might be a woman of a particular race and I might be a man of a particular race, that in the eyes of the law, we are equal. And part of the problem is, is that uh, it's easy to uh, enforce rights that you select or that you feel comfortable with or that serve your needs. Um, the difficulty comes in where uh, we have to respect the rights of others and we have to protect the rights of others that may be different to us in one shape or form or the other. Um, and that is where the big um, uh, conflict comes in, that's where the big difficulty comes in all too often, is that we are very, you know, we are very active or willing to be active in the protection of our own, own rights, but when it comes to the protection of others, uh, particularly marginalized people outside of our immediate uh, communities, um, it's less, uh, you know, we're we, we less likely to want to protect those rights or to stand up for those particular rights. And that is where the shortcoming comes in. Law Focus on Balfan 88.1. Point of Information. A crucial factor that affects how we acknowledge human rights in our country, of course, is how we participate as a society on the day, particularly to the youth. We asked you what you do on such a historical and significant day, and uh, this is what you had to say. No, this is our service. We're doing nothing, actually. Uh, I celebrate Human Rights Day by celebrating, by looking at the past of uh, what, uh, what has happened, and looking in the future and what is going to happen, and just being grateful and thanking God every day. I celebrate it with my friends and family. I don't have a direct celebration. I think it's just raising awareness. That's about the most I think I can do. I study on Human Rights Day. I don't do anything on Human Rights Day. I just, if there's, like, I just stay home and, like, chill. No, I just chill and party, maybe. Yeah, you chill and party, enjoy your freedom. We drink lots of alcohol just to distress it because it's Human Rights Day. Okay, I basically celebrate Human Rights Day by commemorating all the people who have just stood and who stood up for us and had a voice to say, guys, we have rights. And I celebrate by chilling, but, you know, I commemorate them in silence. 
there is no denying that in some way and somehow this day has somewhat, you know, started to lose its meaning. But of course, it is up to us as the youth to find a way to own Human Rights Day in our current situation, in our current generation, and of course, in our current democracy. To celebrate the human rights we do have, and of course, notwithstanding the fact that we will continue improving our society for absolute freedom, equality, and dignity. Constitutional Hill has organized an important, you know, commemoration of 25 years of human rights in South Africa. They have themed the festival Stand Up for Human Rights. It's a three-day celebration commencing from the 21st of March and it's ending on Sunday, the 24th of March. It will encompass the reality of our history in leading up to the establishment of human rights in South Africa, as well as a true reflection about how democracy and the work of social justice organizations in the promotion of human rights. Speaking to us more about the festival is Dawn Robinson, the CEO of the Constitutional Hill. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. As we reflect on tonight's discussion, we spoke to Sharon Ekrabam, an activist from Lawyers for Human Rights, who highlighted just how significant our past is to the struggles that we have today. And of course, that it is up to us as society to make sure that our rights are stood up for. We also spoke to Gashwell Brooks, who is the spokesperson of the South African Human Rights Commission, who walked us through the process of reporting a violation of your human rights. And lastly, we spoke to Dawn Robinson, the CEO of the Constitutional Hill, who told us about the Human Rights Festival, which will be taking place this week from the 21st of March. Remember that various events will be taking place and you are more than welcome to join. You can find out all the festival details on the website www.constitutionalhill.org.za It was Nelson Mandela who said on Human Rights Day in 1996 that is a day in which more than many others captures the essence of the true struggle of the South African people. From our producer Simba Honde, our technical producer Kukwane Sarame, as well as our law focus researchers Sese Tuzingela, Siabongamota, Millicent Indiweni, and myself, Veronica Mahwadi, thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. I am Kaylee Jacobs, and I have the right to equality. I am Juan Limpofu. I have the right to life. I'm Anthony Tshera, and I have the right to freedom and security. I am McThomas Ntuli, and I have a right to personal privacy. I am Masibule Lelunika, and I have a right to freedom of expression. I am Bongani Jamini, and I have a right to education. My name is Gamelia Shepovana, and I have a right to housing. The Bill of Rights protects the right of every South African. And it is important that all South Africans know their most basic rights afforded to them. Happy Human Rights Day. Stand up for your rights. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Law Focus Podcast.